we are uh, looking at Rahab. So last week, we um, on Mother's Day, we, we entered into this, this discussion of the, there's five women named in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. They're Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, uh, Bathsheba, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and then uh, Mary. And uh, so um, I, I didn't know if it was going to be a one-off sermon or if we were just going to go and, and the Lord just kind of encouraged me, hey, let's just keep going a little bit uh, into this. And so uh, we're looking at this, th- th- these ladies and their stories and, um, and, and their stories, uh, what we're calling of uh, Jesus's mothers, right? And they're, um, in, in the Old, in, in the old uh, Testament, you would find somebody was the son of so-and-so, and that might not mean their direct descendant. It might mean great-great-great-grandson of so-and-so, right? Um, and so, uh, so in the same kind of parlance, uh, these ladies become Jesus's mothers. Uh, today, again, uh, we're going to look at the story of Rahab. My question to you is, what do you know about Rahab? Does anybody want to offer anything that you know about Rahab? Yes? Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute. How would you like that for an epitaph? did this prostitute feared God faithful witness to her family family. protector of her family too yep one or two more anybody have anything she was brave was brave. Yep, these things are true. Uh, in the story that we learn about her, she's the hero. She's the hero. She's the rescuer. Another n- name for rescuer is Savior. Now, I want us to talk about Rahab a little bit today. First of all, if you're not familiar with the story, we're just going to familiarize ourselves with the story. It's necessary that we do that. But then I just want to take one angle. Something that was brought to my attention, which I thought was necessary to be brought to your attention. I just want to take one angle about how Rahab, this woman who was a protector of her family, a fear, a God-fearer, who was very brave, who was the hero of the story, gets remembered as the harlot, the prostitute. That's her epitaph. And how, even with such an epitaph, and maybe because of such an epitaph, She foreshadows Jesus, who, Paul says in 
2 Corinthians chapter number 5, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Intrigued? How are we going to get there? It's going to be fun. We'll get there, all right? So, uh, Joshua chapter number 2, I'll largely tell the story rather than read the story, but we will have to read some things out of the story, so uh, you could should open to the text. But here is the story. Joshua, the son of Nun. Great biblical joke. Who was Joshua's daddy? No one. It's the son of Nun. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim... Two men despised secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And it says, They came to a harlot's house named Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, I will just admit, the, uh, the Hebrew term for that uh, word lodged can mean they just stayed the night. But it's also the term that you find is the, uh, is the euphemism uh, that is used to biblically know somebody. Uh, same term. Now, uh, I'm just saying that this text, uh, because they're staying at a harlot's house and because they're two men, um, this text gives us uh, a whole lot of uh, unclear uh, understanding about what were they doing at the harlot's house. So anybody who acts like they know for sure that they did something, they must have, they're wrong. Anybody who acts like for sure that they know that they did nothing, they're wrong. Here's the deal. The only reason why I bring this up. Sometimes we think we have to clean up scripture. We don't. The beautiful thing about our Lord is that he works through human beings who are full of faults and failures and futility and foolishness. Sometimes they do it rebelliously. Sometimes they do it uh, like willfully rebelliously. Sometimes they do it naively, ignorantly. Why is that beautiful? Because you are human and you need God to work in you and through you. And if you think God is only going to work in you and through you when you get it right, you've got the whole plot wrong. And it's so hopeful for us not to give us freedom to go do wrong, of course. And really, that's such a stupid fear that being met by the grace of God, we would just go willfully, willfully be rebellious. It's such a stupid fear, but it's persisted on through the ages. Paul tells us in Romans chapter number two, goodness, it's the goodness, the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You know what this world likes to operate in? Not goodness. This world likes to operate in fear. They like to get you shaking in your boots. That's why every single pundit out there is only pitching the prevailing fears that are out there today. And there's a lot to be afraid of today. This world is broken and it's ruinous. But they want you not only to be afraid, but out of fear, they want you to follow them. We will lead you to safety. 
So, on the far, far right, they say fear, critical race theory, and Black Lives Matter movement, and all those people who want to tear our country down. Like, we haven't had people in our country who've wanted it to tear it down from day one. Like, this is some new strange event. There are people who don't believe democracy and capitalism is the best way forward. Did y'all know that? That, that? that we act like it's brand new. It's not brand new. On the far, far, far left, people want you to be afraid, terrorized of all these people. Who like capitalism and see the opportunity in it and think that it's better for us to work for something rather than just get handed out something. And those people must have a secret agenda, and that is to hold everybody else down, but to lift themselves up. I think my wires need a new one. All right. So be afraid of them. And then if you be afraid of them, what, why? Now they're the enemy. Now you set your sights on them and you kill them. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that the church goes one or two directions real strongly. Uh, we're not doing this anymore. What I'm afraid of as your pastor is that I see the church going too far in one direction or the other. I read broadly. I don't just read a whole bunch of independent Baptist stuff. I read everybody's stuff. And you know what I find out? I find out in the evangelical church and in Baptist churches and in Lutheran churches and in Methodist churches and all across this world, we have people flocking to one side or the other. You have people in evangelical conservative churches that think that, you know, you can't even talk about justice issues or you are aligning yourselves with the Black Lives Matter movement. Right off the bat, like scripture has nothing to say about justice when scripture has so much to say about justice. And then I find on the other side that people are targeting the conservative evangelical churches. Other evangelical churches, other Protestant churches, they're targeting them. They're just xenophobic, racist bigots. And all they want to do is keep the white man in power. Uh, my brothers and my sisters, we will not go one way or the other here. We will be uh, not led by fear, but love. And perfect love cast out fear. And so we will love those people who are duped by QAnon and other conspiracies like that. Who think that everything is conspiracy, conspiracy. We'll love them. We'll be patient. And for those people who are deeply rooted in the whole system must be burnt down. If it's going to be rebuilt to anything new, we're going to love them. Now, you might go, well, what do we mean by love? Well, we don't just mean lip service. So we've got to figure out how to love people who are different than us. I don't know why all this came up right now in this moment, but it did. I'm moving on now.
here's how it gets connected back to this. You know who God is going to use in this world? He's going to use people who are middle of the road, who see the nuance in everything, and who try to be very balanced. And he's also going to use people who are far extreme. Because the Spirit of God doesn't get withheld from people. It gets freely poured upon people. It gets freely uh, in the lives of people. And nobody can deal with that rightly. We don't think that it should be that way because we think we know better than God. But God tells us the real story. If it weren't that way, then my spirit couldn't move because none of you got it right. And so the stories do not need to be cleaned up. We don't have to gussy up the story and say, well, they would have never done anything wrong. They were flesh and blood males. They could have done something wrong. But they could have also been honorable men. They didn't have to do anything wrong. But guess what? That's not what the story is about. The story tells us not about the men, but about the woman. And this woman was a harlot. She was a prostitute. And they came into her house. And the king got wind that these two men from Israel came into her house. And the king got scared. And the king wanted to kill those men or imprison those men. He wanted to trap them at least so that they couldn't go back and report what they had seen. He didn't want them to take their valuable intel back to their commanding officer, Joshua. And so he sends to Rahab and says, where are the men? And Rahab tells a lie. And it doesn't get prettied up. We don't get to have to, we don't have to say, well, it's a righteous lie because it was, she just told a lie, y'all. Why did she tell a lie? She told a lie to save these people. She hid them underneath some, um, uh, some uh, bolts of fabric that she had up on the uh, roof of her house. The Bible calls them flax. And when the king asked her, she said, well, they did come to me. They came in unto me. But I didn't know where they were from. Now, let me just tell you, that's a, there's not one lie that she tells. There's a bunch of lies that she tells here. I didn't know where they were from. I'm shocked. Odd about this. In the ancient world, you knew where people were from just by what they were wearing. Right? Just like if somebody's driving down the street, you kind of have an idea about what socioeconomic class they are in by what they're driving. Uh, they might not have had Nike or Gucci like I do. But they had, they had this other kind of recognition by what people were wearing, the textures, the colors, the, the types of jewels and things of that nature. Unless these men disguised themselves, she would have known. Plus, people had different dialects. You can tell when somebody is from Boston. Let me do my Boston accent. I'm not going to because I can't do an accent. 
And I have watched people make a fool of themselves trying to do accents. And I make a fool of myself a whole bunch of ways, but I'm not going to do it by making an accent. <laughs> you know where people are from. She lied. She knew where they were from. She hid them, and then she prophesied unto them. Rahab says to the men, after uh, she sent the soldiers away, lying to them again, saying, well, they left, and they left, so y'all better go run, and I th think they went towards Jordan, right? She didn't say that. She said, I don't know where they went, but makes sense that they would have come from Jordan is how the men took it. Here's what she says to the men after the, after the pursuers left. She says in verse number nine, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. The Lord your God is the only one true God. And we know it by how he's rescued you. And by his, how he's given you favor against these enemies. And we see that our days are numbered. So she asked them to remember her when they come in and take the land. <clears throat> she says, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all they um, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered and said unto her, our life for yours, if you utter not this, our business. Just so we know, and to be clear here, they weren't supposed to make any promises to any people in Canaan. Deuteronomy tells us that. So these men stepped out of line too. But why would they step out of line? Because she was a neighbor to them. She showed them kindness. And it says, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them down out of the house. And uh, I just want to read really one more thing um, here uh, that she says. She gives them instructions to leave. They make the oath with her. Yeah. She said, according unto your words, verse number 21, so be it. And she sent them away and departed. She bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went. Let's just say that binding of the scarlet line in the window, that's an act of faith. It's an act of trust in them and trust in the Lord. And they came unto the mountain. They bowed three days. 
till the pursuers were returned. The pursuers sought them throughout the other way, found them not. The two men returned and descended from the mountain, passed over, came to Joshua the son of Nun, told him all the things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. That last line of this text, we have to remember, she reported to them. Now they come, and it is the intel that they needed. It is the word that they needed. To where they could say, hey, really this is going to happen. Now here's what I want you all to think about. They needed the good intel that gave them encouragement and hope that this is really about to happen. And the Lord gave that intel, prophesied that word through Rahab, the harlot. A lot of rich stuff in here, isn't there? It's interesting, don't you think? The valuable intel that they needed to give them the encouragement came from such an unlikely source. Rahab, the harlot. Rahab, the prostitute. I call her Rahab the harlot and Rahab the prostitute, not just because Ruth said so earlier, although Ruth did say so earlier, but because in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, whenever they're writing the great hall of faith, after talking about Moses, And how he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. It says in verse number 30 of Hebrews chapter number 11. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. When she had received the spies with peace. By faith the harlot the prostitute Rahab. Hey, let's not forget who she was, Hebrews says. Let's not forget her epitaph. Not the hero, not the brave woman who denied the king, not the woman who risked her life by telling some stories to the king who could have killed her if he would have found those men. Nope. The harlot, Rahab. James, uh, Hebrews and the book of James, James chapter number two, right after talking about Abraham's uh, faithful works, James chapter two, verse 25 says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. When she received the messengers and had sent them out another way. So right alongside Abraham. This is kind of interesting too. Just if you're taking notes. Abraham was really important in, in, in the Jewish world. Right? He's really important in the Christian world. Paul uses him as the model of faith. And guess what? Right alongside Abraham, James puts Rahab. Rahab who? Rahab. The harlot, the prostitute. Now at last, some things for us to consider today. Kate Nunnally, in an article written about uh, 
the women in Matthew, uh, in a series that she wrote, The Women of Matthew's Genealogy. She talks about prostitution. She says, maybe we should reconsider it a little bit. We've already talked about this a bit ourselves. But for those of you who do not know or for more clarity, she said, a more comprehensive view of prostitution in the Old Testament times and today. Right, Shayla? Includes the reality that most of these women were victims of sex slavery. I only asked that of Shayla if y'all thought that she was a prostitute. She's not. Uh, <laughs> Shayla worked for Unbound, a human anti-human trafficking agency. She worked with these women as an advocate for them. Many of them were victims of sex slavery. Perhaps prostitutes should bring imagery into our minds about a woman in bondage or desperate financial need and few options for survival, not someone voluntarily living a life of sin. But regardless of the circumstance, to focus on this as the primary indication of her identity misses the greater contribution she makes to the survival and history of Israel. However, that the text reminds us over and over again that she was a harlot. There is something to glean from this. Considering the possibility that Rahab may have been a victim of sex slavery, even possibly child trafficking, gives us a different perspective than tradition teaches. As a prostitute, Rahab would have been socially marginalized, not because of her own sin, but because of the abuse done to her. Can we let that sink in for a second? Sometimes we look at people, and if we are not careful as Christians, we can think all manner of evil about them, and we don't know their story. I have a brother who struggled with substance abuse since the time he was a teenager. It gets old. People in our church know this. He's been in and out of jail. Stolen things from us. He's had children that we've had to raise. Sometimes he's not very, not very grateful about those realities. But you know this? Before my brother came to our house at nine years old, he had a life of trauma that I can't even wrap my mind around. And he probably can't either. He was broken as a little boy. And there is hope for him. There's gospel hope for him. There is hope for him in families who love him needlessly uh, and endlessly love him. And I'm going to tell you, it's a challenge to do that all the time. As anybody who's ever had somebody who struggles with substance abuse knows. But it's wrong for me to sit there and simply look at him and think, he just needs to grow up. We probably should have a better view of people who are sinners. Not simply because of those realities, but because Jesus did. Jesus had a much better view of these people than, say, the Pharisees did. Because they were always, always so 
confused. Why is he sitting down with with sinners? Because Jesus wasn't afraid of sinners. And he knew that showing them fear wasn't going to change them. But he did know that loving them really good could lead to repentance. Not guaranteed, mind you. Not guaranteed at all. But a lot better than just being afraid of them and keeping them as social outcasts and the marginalized. Now, she would have been marginalized not because of her own sin, but because of the abuse done to her. She may not have initiated or willfully consented to the acts of prostitution performed. Y'all know what that means? It could have been forced upon her. And in the ancient world, it didn't matter if it was forced upon you. I I don't know if y'all know this. Sometimes people act like it's the woman's fault today. Well, what kind of skirt was she wearing? She must have just been putting herself out there for the guy to take advantage of her sexually. Man, that's a shame, right? But we've heard it. What was she doing in the car with that boy? I don't know. What were you doing in the car with the boy who didn't touch you? Probably the same thing. Let me not beleaguer that. But the first time that somebody took her and used her, she would have been no good. Sullied. She would no longer be a chaste virgin. And nobody was going to say, hey, I want this woman to be my wife. Whether it was done to her or she willfully did it. Now then. She may not have initiated or willfully consented to the acts of prostitution performed. Yet she would have to carry the weight of other people's sin. Through social stigma, as if it was her own. Scripture tells us, again, that he became sin. Who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Rahab. Just may have. Become a harlot through no fault of her own. Had to carry the sins of others around. And I say maybe, but it seems rather likely in the world that I know. And every time that we're reminded that she's a harlot, we shouldn't be reminded. Sinner. We should be reminded, bearer of sins. Because in this way, she foreshadows Jesus Christ. There's a lot of sin that you and I have done. But we also bear the scars, the marks, the hurts, the pains of others. I hate that the gospel has been co-opted to only speak in one direction about sin. You're a sinner! You've also been sinned against. You bear sin in your body. You bear suffering. You bear sorrow because other people did not do right. 
And Jesus didn't just come to rescue you from sin that you do. He came to give us a peaceful word, a hopeful word for the sins that were committed against us. For the wrong that's done in this world, the injustice that's done in this world, we have a Savior who suffered wrongfully. And we have a God who says, this is not the only life that there is. And as Paul said, all we have to look forward to is that the suffering of this present time pales in comparison to the glories that are yet to come. My brothers and my sisters, may this word rest on you today. With that I say, amen. I'm going to invite you to a time of reflection. What's the Lord speaking to you? And after a few moments, um, our praise team is going to come back up and we're going to close our service with a couple songs this morning. I'm going to pray over you right now, give you some time, and then close us in prayer. Lord, I love you, and I just pray that you would hear the prayers of my brothers and my sisters. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus.